0: In, so are we on? Are we good? We're going. Hey, um, like Parker said, my name is Max. Um, I am the middle school um, minister here, and um, December twenty seventh marked my three year uh, of being on staff. So it's kind of wild to think about. So um, this is my fourth summer coming up, and um, I uh, I just love being back there, and you know is is quirky and weird as junior high kids are, you really do uh, learn to love them, and um, it's a very impressionable age, and so um, it's, been, it's been really good to serve back there. Um, so um, so I said I've been here for a little over three years, but I haven't always seen myself as doing ministry, and so growing up, you know, I always wanted to actually be a sports broadcaster. That was the dream. I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world, you know, to get paid to talk about sports. And growing up, you know, I loved um, Stuart Scott. And, and for some reason, I really liked Chris Berman. He, he's not very good now. but um, And I loved, you know, watching SportsCenter and, and listening um, to play-by-play during football and basketball games. And, and so, you know, I thought, when I grow up, I want to be like those guys, so uh, I went to college at Mississippi State, and um, I know there's a lot of old Miss people at this church. We can agree to disagree. It's okay. Um, so I went to Mississippi State in 2009, and I majored in broadcast journalism. And I know some of you remember when you're in college, the first two years, you know, you're pretty much just taking like your general classes. You take English 1 and 2, and you take some sort of... Uh, science class and a math class, and you don't really take any classes that are particularly for your major. But then when you get into your junior year, and especially your senior year, you start taking all the classes that are like particularly for your major. So for me in broadcast journalism, um, I took classes like public speaking. I took a class called small group communication. I took classes learning how to make digital graphics. But the most important class that I took in all of college was called TV practicum, okay? And it was essentially like we would do a 30-minute news show every single week. We had a live show that we would do, and it would be played on our news station at the school. And so we had everything. We had sports. We had entertainment. We had news. And so throughout the semester, each student would rotate through all the different positions. So one day I'd run Uh, A camera. One day, I would run the teleprompter. You know, I would be a news anchor, a sports anchor, and um, on top of that, each week we would have to go out and do what's called a package. Okay, and you guys have seen it, whether you know what it is or not, you've seen it. You know, when you watch the news, and it'll say, you know, so and so, the Walgreens on the street, this happened. It'll shoot to the Walgreens, and it like shows the picture, and then there's somebody's voice talking over it, and then it's like this person was at the scene. There's an interview. And then they do like a little sign out like, I'm oh, Max, blah, blah, blah from, you know. So that's a sports, uh, that's a package. So we had to do one of those each week as well. Um, so the reason that this class was so important is because it's the class where we had to take everything that we learned about broadcasting and actually apply it. We had to actually be broadcasters. It didn't help us. To know how to broadcast, but to not ever do it. Um, You know, think about doctors. They don't just leave med school and immediately start practicing on patients. They have a residency where they apply the stuff that they learned in med school. So, by the way, um, we are going to study the Bible tonight. So, you can go ahead and flip to Ephesians 4. Um, That's where we're going to be camped out. Um, Tonight, And I want to talk a little bit about the book of Ephesians real quick. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, communicates a similar message to the church in Ephesus. And it's a message that Christians today need to hear as well. And that is this. He tells them to take the doctrine that he has taught them and to go and apply it in their lives. Okay, that's the way the book of Ephesians is written. The first half is doctrine, and the second half is application. So the first three chapters, Paul spends explaining to us what God has done in saving us. Okay, but then chapters three, uh, 4 through 6 tell us what therefore we must do in response. So what has God done In saving us. He tells us in chapter 2. Verses 4 through 6. He says. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love. With which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him. In the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Okay? So, we're made alive together with Christ. We're new creation. So, therefore, in response, we must live our lives in obedience to God because of our new identity in Christ. So, if you look at Ephesians 4, verse 1, this is kind of the theme for the application of, Part of the book of Ephesians. This verse right here. and Paul says this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Guys, this calling that Paul is talking about is our new identity in Christ. So he's urging us to live our lives in a way that is reflective of Of that new identity. That's what he means when he says worthy of the calling. He means fitting or appropriate with our new nature. So Paul tells us what we are in Christ. And then he says now go out and live it out. Go out and live out your faith. Now the order of that is very important. I need you to understand that. The message to Christians is you are so go and do. Right? Not the reverse, which would be go do so you can be, because that would be a works salvation. Paul's charge to us to live in accord with who we are in Christ is a response to what God has already done for us. The being comes before the doing. Right, The theological way to say that is the indicative precedes the imperative. Okay, so how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we go out and live out our faith? How do we, uh, in our lives, show obedience to God? And that's where we come to really what's going to be our main text for tonight, which is Ephesians 4. The text is going to be 17 through 24, but for right now, we're just going to read verse 17. How do we do that? How do we live out our faith? How How do we live these lives worthy of the calling? Let's see what he says, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. As Christians, we have got to live differently than non Christians. If you are in Christ, you've got to be different. You've got to be different than your neighbors who aren't Christians, than your co workers who aren't Christians. The way you live has to be different. By the way, that's what the word Gentiles in this case means it means people who don't know God, right? An example of this um, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul's talking to a group of Christians. And he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And it seems pretty self-explanatory, right, that people who know God would live differently than people who don't know God. It seems very easy. And so why does Paul have to urge the Christians in Ephesus to live differently than those who don't know God? And a big reason is because of the culture and the society in which they lived. I don't know if you guys know much about Ephesus, but it was known as one of the most filthy in vile, evil cities of this time. okay, They worshipped tons of idols. One of the biggest idols they worshipped was uh, the, the goddess Diana, who was a sex goddess. Okay, And so in the temple, the place where they would have worship, they were committing sexually immoral acts. And the church of Ephesus was in the center of it. They were in the middle of this culture and this society. Does that not sound just like where we are today as Christians in America? In the midst of a culture that seems to have completely fallen off the rails. A culture that screams to just live however makes you happy. A culture where personal experience triumphs truth. A culture that says just do whatever makes you feel good as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Paul knew that the Ephesians were constantly being tempted to fall back into their old sinful habits. This old life that they had left behind. And I think we need to be reminded of that tonight as well. So what Paul does is he gives us a contrast between the old walk and the new walk. Okay, He gives us a contrast between the life of a non-Christian and the life of a Christian. So let's read verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So the first thing Paul says about our old walk or the life of a non-Christian is that their minds are futile. Now the word minds here is not just referring to the intellect. Okay, What he's referring to is their entire way of being. So he says their entire lives are futile, meaning empty or pointless or lacking direction. They're always chasing after the next thing promised to satisfy, but that always eventually leaves unfulfilled, right? Um, You know, Dr. Young always talks about his heroes. He says that all the time, one of my heroes. One of his heroes is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this kind of empty, futile Life he says this, it's like a bubble. It's like a, a bubble is, is uh, it's very wonderful and attractive. Look at the perfect roundness of it, look at the colors. All the colors of the rainbow, how beautiful it is. And yet suddenly it disappears and there's nothing there. It's full of air, nothing else. That's the sort of life men and women were living. The life of a bubble with an apparent beauty, an apparent charm and excitement, but with nothing in it. The bubble bursts and you are left empty handed at the end with nothing at all. And so why are their lives futile? Why are they chasing things that don't satisfy Paul says that they're darkened in their understanding. Now, the word understanding here does mean intellect. Okay, so essentially what Paul is saying. He says they're darkened in their understanding. In other words, they are spiritually blind. Listen to this. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. Paul writes, the, the natural person does not accept The things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That is why people don't accept Christ every time the gospel is presented. Because God has not opened their eyes to see. It's foolishness to them. It does not make sense. Two chapters later, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 4 Verse four: The God of this world has blinded the minds of of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You know, I have a, a two year old daughter named Ava, and Ava loves the moon. She says it with a D on the end, like mooned. She loves the moon. Right? We got her a moon for Christmas for her room, and it just it sits there, and she does not go to sleep unless the moon is on. and So every night she wants to go outside on their back patio and see if we can find the moon. And so we go outside and we look and, um, you know, sometimes when we go out to look, we can't see it because it's covered up by clouds. You know, I say, Ava, the moon went nine-night. And she looks up and she says, oh, moon went nine-night. Yeah, moon went to sleep. We'll come back tomorrow and see if he's, if he's out there. If, if y'all have like grandkids or Kids, you you understand. I mean, this is like her day, like seeing the moon. She's mesmerized by the just, ooh, you know, it's it's hilarious. But but sometimes we can't see it, right? Because there's clouds. But just because we can't see the moon due, due to the clouds doesn't mean the moon is not there, right? Of course, it's still there, but the clouds prevent us. From seeing it. And the person with the best vision in the world. Cannot see the moon when it's covered up by the clouds. And in the same way. Not even the smartest greatest thinker in the world. Can understand the gospel when they are spiritually blind. Because there's a darkness. That exists between his mind. And the gospel that he's looking at. One commentator I read said this. This understanding is treated here as if it were an eye that had become blind. This darkening, moreover, is far worse than physical blindness, for the man who is physically blind knows and admits it. But the person who is spiritually and morally darkened is blind, even to the fact that he is blind. So they are walking in darkness, and they don't even realize it. And as a result of this darkness, the text says they are full of ignorance, right? They, they don't believe they need a savior. They don't believe they're living in darkness. They don't believe that God's word is true. And the wording here is important, okay? Paul says that the ignorance is in them. It's a much deeper issue than simply lacking information. Because typically, that's what uh, ignorance means, right? Right? To be uneducated. To lack knowledge about something. But what Paul says is that ignorance is a part of their being. It is in them. And that's a result of this spiritual blindness. Another result of the spiritual blindness. It says that their hearts have hardened. You know people can change a lot of things about themselves. They can they can live morally better lives. They can read about things and educate themselves about things. But the issue of sin is with the heart. You know, man's heart must be changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And that's the promise that God makes in Ezekiel, right? Chapter 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone From your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And apart from God's grace. Man's heart continues to harden. As he willfully and continually sins against God. Jesus spoke of the hardness of the Pharisees hearts. In Matthew 15. He said. This people honor me with their lips. But their heart. Is far from me. So. We've got this darkened understanding, right? This spiritual blindness. It leads to a life of ignorance. It leads to a hardening heart, which leads, as the text says, to alienation or estrangement from the life of God. Before man fell and sin entered the world, Adam and Eve had fellowship with God A knew God. They walked and they talked with God in the cool of the garden. But as soon as they disobeyed, they were cast out. And the entrance to the garden was guarded by a cherubim and a flaming sword. And the only way to have that life, that life that God made man to enjoy in his presence, is through trusting in the finished work of Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And if anyone is outside of Christ, they are still outside of the garden. They are estranged from God. They are alienated from the life of God. He continues to live in the ignorance of truth. And he does not have eternal life. And Paul says, all these things lead to this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity it leads to lives that are shameless past feeling right that's what it means to be callous as the non-believer continues to harden their heart towards god it becomes like a callous losing its sensitivity and they just don't care about anything anymore except fulfilling their own personal desires the new english bible translation of this verse says. They stop at nothing to satisfy their foul desire. Their hardened hearts and spiritual ignorance leads to loss of self-control. Paul says, that's your old life. Everything I just described, that was the old walk. So after reminding them of why they don't want to go back to that, to that lifestyle, he says, this is what your new life in Christ is supposed to look like. The life of someone who is not spiritually blind, but has been given eyes to see. The life of someone who is not alienated from God, but as Ephesians 5.1 says, a child of God. The life of someone who doesn't need to search for things to satisfy them, because they find their rest and comfort and satisfaction through their relationship with Jesus. So let's read what Paul says about the new walk, verses 20 through 24. He says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. So what's this new walk supposed to look like? The one that Paul says is worthy of someone who is a follower of Christ. He says it's a life of putting off your old self. This old walk. And putting on your new self is a radical change, okay? Becoming a Christian is a radical change. It's fully abandoning that old self and embracing and putting on the new self. Remember, Paul said that if you receive Christ, the old, de- the old you is dead. You are a completely new creation, right? God no longer sees you in your fallen state, but he sees you as spotless. He sees you renewed. He sees Christ's righteousness in you. Your sin has been paid for and forgiven. But while that old self is dead, your old sinful habits and patterns still hang around. And that's why Paul says we must continue to get rid of that old self. He says in Romans 7, For I do not the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not, want, is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul says that while we continue to sin. It's not our new self that's sinning, but it's remnants of that old self. Therefore, we've got to battle every day to kill the sin in our lives. I'm sure many of you know who John MacArthur is. He's a, a preacher in Los Angeles. And John MacArthur says this. He says, you're a new you in a smelly coat. And that coat is the flesh. That coat is your humanness. And it's that smelly coat of humanness that the new nature has to endure until it goes to be with the Lord. So what you need to deal with as a Christian Is that smelly old coat. He says you need to get it off. You need to get the coat off. How do we do that? By actively putting off the old self. Actively fighting sin. And actively pursuing righteousness and obedience. But here's the problem guys. We love to let our sins hang around don't we? We like to justify it and go well you know, it doesn't really affect anybody else. Or, I know plenty of people that struggle with this sin. Or we think, I've got grace. I know I'm forgiven. Therefore, I'm going to continue in this pattern, this life of sin. We act like it's not a big deal. We continue to let our sin live. We feed the flesh instead of starve the flesh. But let me tell you something. Paul says it's a very big deal. Paul says that's the mentality of the old you, which was corrupt. He says it was controlled by deceitful desires. The new you knows the truth because the truth is in Jesus. The new you is not corrupt, but is created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Guys, Ephesians 2.10 says you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. As when I was in college, um, I pledged a fraternity in my freshman year. And if if you did a fraternity, you know things have changed a lot now. But when you do a fraternity as a pledge, you know there's a lot of rules you have to follow. It's just, just how it is. And, uh, for example, when we would walk into the fraternity house as pledges, we were not allowed to walk through the front, okay? We'd have to walk through the back. And then in our chapter room which was also the room where we ate, um, there there was this blue and gray tiled floor. And as pledges, we weren't allowed to walk on the blue tiles. It sounds ridiculous, but it was like, hey, you're not active yet, so you can't walk on blue tiles. So we would just walk on gray tiles all the time for like six months. Um, And so what happened was after I became active in January... For a few months at least, I still walked on the gray tiles because I was so used to it, right? It had become a habit. It still felt weird to walk through the front door. So I, I felt more comfortable walking through the back door. And I would just still walk on these gray tiles. But I wasn't a pledge anymore. I had the certificate that said I was an active member. So why was I still living like a pledge? Because I had gotten used to living that way. I was accustomed to it. I walked on the gray tiles out of habit. So Paul is essentially telling us, you're not a pledge anymore. So why are you acting like you are? You're not that old self anymore. You've been made new, so stop doing the things that you did when you were a person that did not know God. John MacArthur tells a story, um, as I said, he lives in Los Angeles, and he he tells a story about how one time he went down to the Union Rescue Mission in L.A. to preach. And he said while he was there, they showed him the de-licing room, right, where men would come, and they were filthy and full of just lice, a lot, a lot of lice. And he said when they would go in there, it would take a long time to get the lice Off and out of their clothes. And he said afterwards they would just burn their clothes. And then he said this. He said it wouldn't do a bit of good to de-lice a guy. And then put him back in his old bum lice clothes. Because nobody would believe that he would had a bath. And the same thing is true for you if you are a Christian. You have been given new clothes. And if you're walking around still wearing those old, lice, bum clothes, nobody will know that you've had a bath. We've got to live in accord with our new identity. We've got to be different. Paul knew that his Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus needed to be reminded, they needed to be pushed, and they needed to be encouraged. They needed to be reminded of their, old, of their new identity in Christ. They needed to be pushed to live their lives in a way that was reflective of that new identity. And they needed to be encouraged and know that with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, that they can effectively put off their old self and put on their new self. And so may my Christian brothers and sisters in this room tonight also be reminded and pushed and encouraged. And may we strive to do what Paul urged the Ephesians to do, which is this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. How do we do that? By no longer living like people who don't know God. Father, would you help us um To do this to to shed off our old sinful nature, um, would you help us to fight our sins that we that we let hang around and we justify, Father, would you enable us to kill those so that we may live lives in obedience to you, Father, for those who do not know Christ in this room and, and are continuing to live lives hardening their hearts and suppressing the truth. May you give them eyes to see. May you give them ears to hear that the gospel message is a message of grace and that it is free. And that is the only way that we can regain the relationship that man once had with you. And it's through the finished work of Christ. Father, we love you. Would you enable us to glorify you in all that we do this week?